Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Nerds and geeks, hold on to your seats because it's about to go down. Welcome to Nerdorama, the voice of the nerd nation. I'm Mo Kelly, he's Tawala Sharp, and together we bring you your daily dose of nerd news, analysis, and conversations with the best and brightest of the nerdverse. Let me tell you about two-time Emmy-nominated journalists Melissa McCarty and Kelly McClear have long been lauded for their work on the nationally syndicated true crime television series Crime Watch Daily, HLN, Sex and Murder, Oxygen's Accident, Suicide or Murder, Crime Con, and Central Avenue. But now the acclaimed reporters and journalists have joined forces to launch Killer Jeans, the true crime podcast. Killer Jeans kicks off this Thursday, the 17th. Both Melissa McCarty and Kelly McClear join me via Zoom first. Kelly, nice to meet you. How are you today? Hi. Thank I'm, you. Thank you so much for having us. And Melissa, it's been a while since we've seen each other, but we get to interact somewhat on Instagram these days over the pandemic. How have you been? Great. I know I miss being in studio, but this is as long as I'm hearing your voice. Well, it's good to have you both on. Melissa, let me begin with you. You're a crime reporter by trade. I'm quite sure it's both thrilling and even dangerous at times, no hyperbole. What have your experiences said to you about the depths of depravity of humankind? Great question, the depths of depravity. You know, I always try to look at the human element of it, and throughout my 20 years, I always thought, okay, I've seen it all. I've seen everything, because I started out in local news, and the amount of murders that take place, people would be shocked. Uh, we actually, you know, it's impossible to cover them all. So we had to just kind of uh, prioritize which one um, we needed to tell, uh, such as, you know, a child or just unbelievable circumstances. And once I got to the national level of true crime reporting, that's how I met Kelly McClear on Crime Watch Daily. And then I started to come face to face with these accused killers um, and, um, you know, talking to accused killers. It saddens me that it's never going to stop. And it seems to be getting worse in derangement and violence and extreme. And now um, there's a fascination of it and it's igniting, you know, sleuths, which are helpful to solving cases. But what's more sad is all the unsolved cases. But obviously you have that human moment where you can't believe the facts that you're reading. You can't believe, you know, the emotion or lack thereof from this person accused of, of murdering someone. And you can't believe the details. And, and I wish there would be a day where it would, you know, sim, kind of simmer off and, and it, would, uh, it would stop, but it doesn't. It just gets worse and worse. Kelly, along those lines, once upon a time you worked with the Connecticut State Police. What did that time in your career propel you to or compel you to in terms of telling these stories long form, like with Killer Jeans? Oh, wow. You pulled that one out of the, uh, <laughs> out of the bug, didn't you? Um, <laughs> 
you know, it's, it's, I'll make a very long story short. One of my aunts was um, one of the first female lieutenants with the Connecticut State Police. So she got me a summer job. I believe it was the summer of 1996. And yeah, I worked for some of the detectives in, uh, with the Connecticut State Police and I got to work with them. You know, I mean, I guess I want to say the most impact that it had on me was they would go out to a call, right? And this was back before cell phones and, you know, everything like that. And so they would handwrite their reports. And then I would have to take those reports and type them up. Or uh, let's say there was a court case that was happening uh, in Hartford. I would have to send case files, uh, you know, over to, over to the court. And I really got a taste of reading these reports and seeing the crime scene photos. And I want to elaborate a little bit on what Melissa just said. And that is we can never lose sight of the victims because whenever there's a crime, there is more than one victim. It's those family and friends that are left behind. And that's where I like to put my focus on is trying to help them as much as I possibly can, because it's not just something that you get over with in time, right? It's something that lingers with you forever, especially on, on unsolved cases, but really working with the Connecticut state police and seeing, you know, these case files early on is what is what really started the drive for me. Kelly, I guess you, are psychic because you led me into my next question and I'm going to phrase it in a different way, but I'm going to ask Melissa of this. I often ask members of law enforcement, detectives, doctors, and surgeons, how do you not take some of your worst days home with you to that end? Melissa, I'm going to ask you in terms of crime reporting, given what Kelly just said, how it lingers with you, how do you not let these stories seep into your life in the wrong way? It's impossible not to take it home with you. And, you know, I have a book and I talk about this greatly. I think my personal life has been affected by it because, you know, everyone always perceives me as someone who is a little intense or a little heavy or too, too of depth because I'm always thinking when I'm sitting at dinner, a lingering thought in the back of my conscious is, you know, oh, I wonder if that family has made funeral arrangements yet. Or, you know, I wonder if, um, you know, they solved that case that I covered a year ago. Or I'm thinking of um, images, you know, that you can't ever unsee. And, and you never, it, it never escapes you emotionally. And if it does, there's something wrong and you should leave the business. But what you can do and what I always do is you live your life as best as you can to the fullest. You don't linger on to grudges. You don't argue over petty things. And you really have that perspective as you go through life that life is so precious and any of us can die from an accident or be the victim of a crime at any moment. So why are you going to let small things in life stress you out, you know, especially if you can't, um, you know, fix it. So it, it affects me always, but I try every day to find the light and happiness. It's really important especially if you're going to live your entire life telling true crime stories, which I plan to do. I don't want to ever stop. Um, and so it can't get to me to where I'm, I'm traumatized from it or I'm afraid to live life, you know, or to, to feel. Talking about your histories, professional and personal, which kind of drew you here, led you here, prepared you for this moment. So Kelly, let me ask you then, how did you first start going about putting together killer genes? What was the first step? Oh, well, the first step was teaming up with Melissa and, uh, you know, who better to do that with? You know, I, I've so enjoyed working with her and, you know, finding somebody that has the same passion that you do and really never losing sight of the victims and telling 
telling the cases. I don't want to use the word story, but telling the cases that need to be told. And, you know, we, we worked really, really hard um, to select the ones that we think need to be told and, and need to make the public more aware about. Um, and there are specific reasons, which you'll hear throughout the season, um, of why we chose these cases and, and why they need the public's help and need a push. Um, but really, you know, our, our job is never done. You know, and to go back with what Melissa said earlier before the break, unfortunately, crime is everywhere and it's always going to continue to happen. And, you know, it's sad to say, but we're going to have to keep working at this. And the more we can get these cases out there, the more work, you know, the more the more good work we can do. Melissa, let's talk about some of these specific cases that Kelly was referring to. Thomas Randolph had been married six times. Two of his wives, dead from gunshot wounds. Randolph lived through two murder trials and spoke exclusively to killer genes from death row in Nevada for the first time. Set up this case for me. And how did you go about trying to tell not only his side of the story, but the story overall? This is a tough case and probably it's going to be a talker because he's very... um outrageous at some points, vulgar at some points, especially in part two. So, you know, I, I've dealt with him for three years and he's someone that prosecutors in Las Vegas have uh, said is the real life combined rarity of a sociopath and a psychopath. And Thomas Randolph, who's sitting on death row, will tell you he's innocent. And I started um, this case in 2017 in uh, Las Vegas when he was on trial. He wouldn't talk then. He wouldn't talk to anyone. And then he reached out to me from death row and he said, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Let's do this. And I, I dove as deep as I could every single marriage. And I wanted to know how this man thinks. And, you know, the issue is what people are going to be so compelled by, not only is it up for a Supreme Court appeal where I listen to the audio and he might actually get a new trial from um, some discrepancies in, in the Las Vegas murder case, but it's fascinating the way he speaks. And I think the way he looks in his verbiage and his lifestyle and how he talks, uh, you know, to detectives on recorded interviews. It really um, puts the pin in his coffin, especially during the penalty phase. And we explore that deeply is can jurors look past someone's kind of vulgarity and lifestyle and see them as a human. Um, but yeah, he, he had a marriage um, in, to his second wife who it was ultimately deemed a suicide. He was acquitted during that murder case in 1989 in Utah. 30 years later, his sixth wife in Las Vegas uh, was killed from an alleged hitman who he shot. So you're talking about, you know, two alleged hitmans, two murder trials, 30 years apart, six wives, and a guy who's just, you know, very uh, free with his thought process, which is overall offensive to many. And it was fascinating. Three years of my life. Kelly, how close do you, given what Melissa just said, how close do you personally get to stories like these where you hear a story about Thomas Randolph or you're interacting with someone like Thomas Randolph and at least on the surface, he's not a good guy on any level, possibly guilty in two murders or at least the state has already said that he's guilty in those murders and he's awaiting execution. How do you not have utter contempt as you try to tell this story for this person? It's hard not to. 
you know, you really do find yourself struggling, you know, going back and forth going, do I believe this guy? Do I not believe this guy? Um, and speaking directly about Thomas Randolph, you know, I first of all want to commend Melissa for her three years of work uh, with Randolph. Um, not a lot of people would would go to the depths that she has gone. And I think audiences are going to be uh, both shocked and awed at what they are going to hear. That's all I can say. It's really hard to separate yourself. It kind of it kind of is. You know, there's definitely points um, in listening to Thomas, you know, that I'm like, ah, you know, maybe he didn't do it, you know. Maybe he, you know, just wrong place, wrong time, bad luck. Did the guy cheat on his wife? Yeah. Does that make him a killer? No. And so you do find yourself struggling with that. And we're going to be really, really interested to hear what the listeners have to say about what their thoughts are. Do they think Thomas Randolph is guilty of killing his wife, Sharon? Or do they think it was just, you know, wrong place, wrong time? But I, I want to commend Melissa for all the work that she's done on this case. I'm quite sure we've inspired someone to reach out to you both in, uh, separately and collectively regarding Killer Genes, the true crime podcast. So how can people reach out to you and follow what you're doing, obviously, and also listen to Killer Genes? Ah, the easiest way is Instagram, Killer Genes, the podcast, and then check your local podcast um, you know, outlet everywhere on the 17th and reach out. Let us know what you think. And our production company is Mudhouse Media. You can also follow us, and we have some exclusive behind-the-scenes content also on mudhousemedia.com. Melissa McCarty and Kelly McClear, together they make up Killer Jeans, the true crime podcast. Melissa, Kelly, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I'm a true crime fan, if that makes sense, in every sense of the word. And I will be tuning in on the 17th to check out Killer Jeans. And it's nice to be able to have some of the behind the scenes and some of the lead up to these compelling and important stories. I salute your success and I thank you for the work that you do. Oh, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Hello and welcome to The Bipal, the only online comic book review column that is haunted by the notion that somewhere there's a love in flames. My name is Hannibal Taboo and I'm coming at you with great gratitude to my good friends Mo and Tawala for bringing me on. You can find everything you need to know about me using at sign H-A-N-N-I-B as in bounce A-L, T as in tough A, B as in bounce U on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook. Imperial code canisters and the uniforms of a grand moth and wherever you want to be. There are four sections to the BIPAL. The first section, the titular buy section, is for books that were so good they demanded to be purchased in the moment or are from a series that have had three purchase worthy books in a row and therefore have earned the spot until there are three non-purchase worthy books in a row. I'm sorry to say there's nothing on the BIPAL this week. Yikes. That's not good. Moving on. The next section is called Honorable Mentions for books that were good, but perhaps not quite good enough to get your money out of your actual Venmo or PayPal or Cash App or money transfer or however you do things. I'm not all up in your financial that way. The first book we find there is Sword Number no. 1 from Marvel Comics with a creative team of Al Ewing, Valerio Shiti, Marte Gracia, and Ariana Maher. The mutant nation of Krakoa has done a lot to make changes to the status quo of the Marvel Universe, and after casting their gaze in every direction on the surface, have finally cast their eyes upward to the universe beyond. This is a new exercise in scene setting that shines with character moments but falls short on clarity. 
With a nod to the recent toothless crossover Empire, Abigail Brand has left behind the human space program Alpha Flight and taken over the space station to peak with the help of a crack team of mutant specialists and a plan. Their first visitor is a member of the Quiet Council, Magneto. Magneto's presence as a member of the power structure generates a lot of fantastic character moments with close friends, Cable and Peeper, former acolyte, acolytes, rather, Frenzy and Cortez, fans, Wizkid, and more. Al Ewing's script gives this tour a sense of establishing the players and their capabilities, as well as their general status and the social arrangement. There's been quite a bit of work done on the character designs. That's one of two areas where Valerio Schitti, Marta Gracia, and Ariana Maher have room to shine. There, and with the science fiction environment that mixes biological enhancements from Krakoa, with the scientific necessities to hold, quote, a thousand-ton spaceship, close quote, aloft, this looks great. Where it begins to fall apart is around the MacGuffin, which is at the heart of the overly complex visual sequence in the middle. What specifically is happening, and how it balances the struggle between Magneto's Krakoa first perspective and Brand's more circumspect considerations, is not clearly described. Likewise, it should bring the plot to a crescendo, but instead rings hollowly and leaves clarity to subsequent issues. This could never be said to be bad, but it's a mixed bag debut that has room to grow, so that rating would be honorable mention. Next up, we have Juggernaut number four from Marvel Comics with the creative team of Fabian Nicieza, Ron Garney, Matt Miller, and Joe Sabino. By introducing a less sturdy character for Kane Marco to feel responsible for, this series is trying to pull at the same heartstrings that Lone Wolf and Cub, The Mandalorian, Crowded, and even The Professional used in terms of characterization aimed relentlessly at a goal. It was pointed out to me online that it also follows The Hound and Arya Stark in their trip together. Social media maven D-Cell has the ability to rob people and things of their forward momentum, de-accelerating them. Get it? And has gotten mixed up with the Juggernaut in his latest quest for redemption. His protective energy over her is reinforced by the shift in characterization in a flashback where he faces down his patron and changes the terms of their relationship. Much like the quest chain structure of Din Djarin's lengthy search for a decent preschool, someone has an unsafe interest in D-Cell and Professor X's stepbrother Kane is going to punch his way through an increasingly complex series of minions to discover the source. Fabian Nicieza's script allows for surprising tenderness in between some of the sense-shaking action scenes depicted by Ron Garney, Matt Miller, and Joe Sabino. While this is structurally sound, as any book by this team of experts would be, it lacks a certain urgency that would make it crucial reading. D-Cell is not as adorable as Grogu, not as emotive as Natalie Portman's Matilda, the lone Arya Stark, not as irrepressible as Charlie Wilson, and not distinctive enough to capture the reader's desire for their positive outcome. That's not a bad thing, but it's the difference between a stunner like, say, the recent volume of Suicide Squad and something you could possibly live without. Admittedly, with this and his Savage Avengers appearance, Juggernaut is carving out a destructive anti-hero space that could be a good choice for him, if it sticks. Rating, honorable mention. The next section of the reviews is called the Meh Piles for books. I mean, they happened. They were good stuff, they were bad stuff, but altogether it's kind of a forgettable whatever. There we find Flash number 767 from DC Comics with the creative team of Andy Lanning, Ron Mars, Clayton Henry, Marcelo Maiolo, and Steve Wands. Literally, nothing happened in this issue. Given that this is the second installment of an apparently grandiose crossover, Endless Winter, one might expect something to deepen the story or perhaps move the plot forward. Nah. The title character runs and falls down and talks and then runs. The Frost King has plunged the world into a snowy disaster scape with frozen monsters battling heroes and first responders on every continent. Barry Allen seems adrift, 
going from China to the Middle East to Central City, looking for something to punch, some solution to divide. Given that this is, as noted, only the second part of a bigger story, it should come as no surprise that he finds no true conclusion. What is surprising, given his power set, is how the cold begins to slow his metabolism in a way that even he says is unlike the normal cast of temperature-chilled and challenged villains he faces. He slows down and relies on the kindness of people historically not known for their mercy. There is a prelude involving the Demon Knights, I mean uh, the Avengers of a Million B.C., I mean that is the senior mafia of the Justice League Viking, only one of them is an actual Viking, by the way, that only shows that their combined might was insufficient which was made more than apparent in the inaugural issue. As well as nothing being changed by the events here, no new information was uncovered. That's weird, given the caliber of creators on board. The man who made Kyle Rayner the GL of the generation in Ron Mars, one of the guys who put GOTG on the map in Andy Lanning, crisp and detailed art on a global scale from Clayton Henry, Marcelo Maolo, and Steve Wands. This had every possible ingredient to do something memorable, yet it didn't. Weird. That rating would be meh. Finally, the last section of our reviews is called No, Just No, and it's for books that are abjectly terrible and should not be purchased under any circumstances. There's likewise nothing there. So when nothing's really good and nothing's really bad, it's all just a, a gray wash of melange, waves lapping at the shore and making you wistfully think of better or worse days. I'm not actually sure. If you do have waves lapping at your, your feet, please wear a mask. But uh, I'll be back next week. Hopefully something will be better. Hopefully nothing will be worse. I appreciate your time. I hope you're safe. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Hey guys, Mo Kelly here. The new daily Nerdorama podcast is featured on iHeartRadio. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed to get your daily dose of nerd news. Also available on iTunes, Spreaker, and all the top podcasting apps. It's free and perfect for everyone in your nerd family. Nerdorama is produced by Tuala Sharp and continues to be a segment on the Mo Kelly Show. Weekends on KFI Los Angeles. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nerdorama News. Until next time, keep it comic. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.